This is Kevin Lavelle, and you're listening to Founders 15. You know what the world needs? Another business podcast. Well, actually, maybe it does. See, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which were truly great. I learned a lot and had takeaways that changed my business or personal life. But I often noticed there was no commonality between the interviews as they were wide-ranging, so it was harder to tease out themes between them. I launched Mizzen in Maine to bring advanced performance fabrics to traditional menswear. So just like deciding the world needed a better dress shirt when everyone said it was crazy, I decided to launch Founders 15. Founders 15 is a unique new discussion experience distinct in three specific ways. The conversations will be founder to founder, eliciting an enlightening back and forth of two people with an overlap rarely found in other interviews. In my position as founder of Mizzen in Maine, I've gotten to have extraordinary conversations with other founders, and I know that there are takeaways that a lot of people would benefit from. So episodes will also feature the same 15 main questions in each podcast, helping bring a continuity to these discussions with appropriate probing on key themes as they develop throughout the interview. Perhaps most distinctively, I'm focused primarily on founders building something right now, and not just the billion dollar unicorns that get the headlines every day. These interviews feature real people building real businesses today. Business titans from years ago offer much to learn from, but my focus is on those in the heart of their journey to build something great. To keep things particularly interesting, I'll also be interviewing a few well-known athletes and coaches, founders in their own right, to gain additional insight and inspiration as to what it takes to achieve greatness. Would love to hear any feedback anytime. I'm on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I've enjoyed having them. This was a particularly unique episode of Founders 15 because Webb Smith and I worked together in the early days of building Mizzen in Maine. Today, Webb is the founder of 2PM, a newsletter for CEOs, investors, creatives, marketers, and entrepreneurs with all of the most relevant information they need, along with an executive membership option with in-depth commentary, analysis, and robust databases. There are a lot of newsletters today. There are only a few great ones, and 2PM is one of the absolute best. Webb shares insights into the unique challenges of scaling insight, something that's tremendously difficult to do, along with this evolving routine of staying sane, which includes sleeping, quote, a whole lot more these days of up to six and a half hours. That's still not a lot of sleep, Webb. He is well on his way to building 2PM into what his goal is, to be the go-to source for the entire industry. As a personal subscriber, executive member, an avid reader of the newsletter, despite unsubscribing to almost everything else these days, I highly encourage you all to check out 2pml.com, say hello to Webb on Twitter, at Webb, and yes, that is really his Twitter handle. Enjoy. Webb, thanks so much for joining Founders 15. We've known each other for a long time. This is, I think, the first time we've had a recorded conversation, so this should be fun. Um, so tell me, um, and, and for the, the people not familiar yet with 2PM, tell me a little bit about 2PM, your journey to get here and, um, a little bit about yourself personally, and then we can dive into the, the real backstory behind 2PM. It's a really great question. Uh, so I think it was at like maybe late 2015 when I began to start thinking about 2PM, um, I was, uh, handling commerce at a publisher at the time. I believe it was Uncrate. And I realized that I was so focused on my my work and trying to navigate the workplace that I wasn't really staying on top of the industry and how the industry was changing in real time. I I said to myself like, well, how can I how can I find a way to accomplish that for myself? Like what can I do to motivate myself to to stay abreast of everything that's happening, to stay educated in all these things? And 2PM became that solution for me. So I said, okay, if I read these 10 things a day, then you know I'll be better prepared to navigate the company moving forward. Um, so it started as a project to enrich myself um, academically and uh, industry-wise. And it just became sort of a thing where 10 people wanted to get the same email. And so I sent it to 10 people. I believe you were probably in that first 15, 20, or 30. Um, and it sort of snowballed from there. 
And so you are based in Columbus, Ohio, and you've got two beautiful daughters. Tell me a little bit about the day in the life of, of Webb at home. Okay. Um, things are, things are good. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been an evolution. Um, it's taken a long time to get to where we are today as a family, but I'm, I'm tremendously proud of, of who those, those two little girls have become. Um, Alexis is in the fifth grade. So technically middle school at her school and Adriana is in pre-K. Um, so they go to school together and Alexis is obviously a kid that I brag about quite a bit. Um, just very, very proud of who she's become and how she handles herself. Um, you know, she lives between a few different worlds. And so she navigates those worlds pretty well. Um, great academic student, straight A's, great, great athlete, great person, great human being. Adriana is sort of the, sort of the yin to your, to her yang. Uh, and, and, you know, her life is probably going to be a little bit different. She's, she's rambunctious. She's passionate. She, she gets, she gets angry if she loses a race, uh, you know, all these things. Um, uh, you know, there are a lot of similarities between them, but I think that Alexis and Adriana are going to provide us a contrast that should keep us entertained over the next 15, 20, 30 years. And your daughters have, there's a unique story behind their names, right? Yes. So my younger brothers are twins. They both live in New York. They, you know, they're 30, 30 years old. They still share an apartment together because I guess that's what twins do. Um, <laughs> They live on the East River, and their names are Alex and Adrian. And so when I was naming my daughters, uh, you know, Lindsay and I were trying to figure out ways to name them that would make sense for who they were. Um, you know, both their culture, their their heritage, um, you know, what we thought they were going to become, all these things. And Alexis and Adriana just made perfect sense. The, the names just fit them really well, and we just ran with it. That's awesome. So um, 2 p.m. at this point in time has grown quite a bit. Um, started off, as you said, just a couple people receiving a few links uh, from time to time. <clears throat> and now it's, uh, it's one of the industry standards of newsletters. And, and it's funny, there's, um, there's always those people who start, start the wave. And it, it feels like um, you really spawned, help spawn at least, um, the wave of people starting newsletters. So, um, talk to me about, uh, some context for kind of where 2PM sits today. Um, the, the size, you, you know, don't have to, st uh, share specific subscriber numbers if you don't want to, but, um, the reach of it and, and kind of some of the things that have demonstrated just how important 2PM is. Okay. Uh, well, those are great questions. I'll, I won't share subscriber numbers or revenue numbers, but what I will yeah, say is, is um, typically if we feature an article at the top of the newsletter, um, you know, that the, the writer or the editor of that article will reach out when the article is featured. Because, um, because you're driving so much traffic to that. Right. So I take a lot of pride in that because um, to answer a few of your questions, there are a lot of newsletters in the space, some of which I'm friendly with, some of which I feel are probably more adversarial than they need to be. Um, uh, but I, I, I pride the company on quality, on, on objectivity, um, on consistency. And uh, I think the combination of those things sets us apart for, from a lot of them. Um, you know, uh, Lean Lux comes to mind uh, is I would say he's a peer. He's a colleague. He um, is a friend. We talk probably every day in some way, shape or form. Uh, I root for him. I think he roots for me. And I think that that's really, really healthy. I think that that, that we've sort of helped, a, 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 you know, a rising tide raise all ships. And I would prefer that most newsletters operate in that way, but that's just not the case. <laughs> so, um, it happens, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I try to be utilitarian. I think Paul tries to be utilitarian as well. And not everyone shares that view and that that's just the game. So uh, staying focused, staying in our lane, not, you know, veering away from what, what got us started and avoiding politics, both literally and figuratively and, and just trying to maintain momentum and organic growth. And it is a newsletter, but it's also become a business. How, how have you structured um, the business of 2PM? 
Sure. Uh, and that's where, you know, we, you mentioned earlier about Megan and I, you know, we are solidifying ways to scale what we're doing. Um, and I'm, I'm deliberately moving slowly here because I don't want to make a mistake. Um, I, I plan on doing this for a long time. It's, it's the culmination of a lot of my passions. Um, so right now, I would say that the, the, the revenue structure is a split between um, recurring revenue monthly and um, that, that comes by way of monthly subscriptions and yearly subscriptions. And then the other chunk of revenue is one-on-one growth consulting throughout the ecosystem that we've built. So if I had to explain that ecosystem, uh, 2PM, which is short for two polymaths, touches several parts of commerce, media, financing, agency work. And we consult um, strong leading entities in all of those areas. You know, I, I always enjoy hearing the stories of names and I always assumed that 2 p.m. links was because you sent it out at 2 p.m. every day. And I had no idea. I, I, I know you generally have sent it out around 2 p.m., but I had no idea that it stood for two polymaths. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the operation is built to, to take the person like you who's multi-talented, you have to be to survive as the chief executive of a DMVB at this time, um, and providing them the tools, the insights, um, the data to operate and to be, um, uh, I guess, authentic and, authorita- and authoritative in whatever they're saying and whatever they're communicating to their C-suites, their investors, their media partners, so on and so forth. Things change so quickly that if you miss out on six months of developments, you're behind. I talked to I talk to brands that don't understand how to drive affiliate traffic. I talk to brands that don't know how to advertise outside of Instagram and Facebook. And it's just, I, I, you just can't, you can't, you can't survive without a base knowledge that continues to evolve. And I, I'm hoping that 2 PM helps people to continue evolving. Yeah. And, and I can, speak from authority, uh, having read, I think every newsletter since number one, um, I unsubscribe from almost everything that I possibly can. Uh, cause I get too many emails as it is, even though we use Slack and don't have any internal emails, but 2 PM is something I read every single day and I'm clicking on at least half the links. And then, um, you know, if I don't read it for two days, cause I'm traveling, it's not one of those where I just say, oh, I'll just delete it. No worries. And, uh, it, it, the content that you provide in there is, is extraordinary and, and seeing you guys expand, not just, you know, highlighting great news and developments and commentary from around the web, but that it's now evolved into, um, this executive membership where you're providing deeper level insights and combing through all this data, um, as someone who is time starved and has to stay on top of everything. Um, it's extraordinary. And I think at least half of my company has signed up for the newsletter as well. That's awesome. That's great. That's what I want. <laughs> and it's working well from everything that I can see. Um, so um, you have hired your first team member uh, to help you grow the impact of 2PML. And um, you are you are seeing um, the, the changes, obviously, with from one to two is a, a massive change. Um, how do you define the culture of what you're doing at 2PM? So that's a great question. Megan and I, first and foremost, are, are great friends. Um, you know, her husband's my best friend. Uh, my wife and her have worked together. So there's a lot of familiarity there. Um, that being said, um, it takes a certain understanding of how people operate outside of the workspace to guide how people should operate within the workspace. Um, so she knows she knows my, my limitations pretty well, both in, you know, professional endurance, temperament, all these things. And I, I, I pride myself on knowing her limitations pretty well. And so we've taken the approach where I'm using my strengths. She's using her strengths. We're working as a collective and moving forward. Um, we're going to fill in those gaps accordingly with the right people. Um, I don't foresee 2 PM being, a huge company ever. Um, I know this is going to be jumping around, but 
one of my inspirations for 2PM has been Thompson and in Stratechery. And uh, it's it's a pretty in-depth newsletter, very yeah. active. Um, not something that you casually read, right? No, not at all. Uh, it's it's a very intense newsletter. Right. And <laughs> so while that's not exactly how I would prefer to digest information, I understand why people are so attracted to it. And from what I know about Ben, we've chatted a few times, and he's been a supporter of 2PM, which is a tremendous honor. Um, his team is no more than four or five people. And so, you know, he's doing millions a year in revenue. And uh, you can't really scale yourself or your insights. So it becomes, a, it becomes a situation where I have to find a way to scale everything else but myself with people that are much better at me, better than me at everything else. And, and Megan's helping me do that. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the culture, finding ways to, to address each other's weaknesses and amplify each other's strengths in a way that's respectful and, and lasting. Um, and I think that both of us have a long-term vision for what, for what this can be. It's a unique, it's a unique challenge that you face um, when you say you can't scale your insights. Certainly, there are consulting firms that scale the ability to consult, but that's not one person's insights. You're just hiring other people to go solve problems in the way that they would solve problems, um, giving them some level of guidance. So it'll be really, really interesting to see this journey that you go on. Um, and, and you do have a good kind of corollary in what Ben has done at Stratechery. Um, and as you said, it, it is, it is dense. Stratechery is one that I will plug into from time to time, but I do not stay deeply engaged in because I, I, th I just don't think I have the, the mental, the mental fortitude or horsepower to make that a daily read. Um, well, that, make, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you got 2 PM off the ground and it is, as you said, it's a, an, an initiative at first just to kind of improve your knowledge and, and share some of that. And then it became your full-time endeavor. And with something like a newsletter, you're not monetizing that right away. It takes a little while before you can get there. So how long did you go without paying yourself for 2PM or getting to back to a point where you could say, okay, this is, I'm at least making a, a, an effective salary for uh, anywhere close to where I could be. Should I go get hired somewhere else? Sure. Uh, great questions. Um, so I would say that I went... I don't know the amount of days or weeks or months that I went. I went over 200 issues without paying myself. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that was that was it. That was a test. Like that was a test of endurance. It was do I really want this enough? I think that throughout moments of my career, I've shown a lack of endurance and I wanted this to be something different. So I sort of put myself through the paces. Like, am I really willing to go through this for the next five, 10 years and make this become? And if I am willing to do that, then that means I'm willing to put in the groundwork completely without ever taking a dime. And that's, that's what I was allowed to do. That's what I, that's what I accomplished between late 2015 and literally January of 2000. That's absolutely amazing. So <clears throat> to get, you've had um, several entrepreneurial journeys over your career. Who most inspired you along the way, early on or um, kind of as a true north? And, and certainly there are a lot of people you and I have talked about that we look up to and we admire for their entrepreneurial fortitude and, and what it takes to make anything happen, let alone doing it several times over. Who has most inspired you personally or from a kind of famous person level? Huh. <laughs> well, I would say personally, um, I think you know the answer to that. It's, it's Bill Hineker. Yep. Bill and Katie. Um, that just the way that they've moved through the muck over the years uh, has been extraordinary. I don't think they get enough credit. Yeah, and to that point, for those people who are listening here and don't know who Bill and Katie are, they're the founders of Rogue. And I mean, they've built something that is 
one of the most impressive companies uh, to me in, in modern times in terms of I, I from the ground up. I would agree. Um, I would say from a, from a, uh, I guess a celebrity standpoint or a famous person, I, I don't really look up to famous people, but I do look up to historical figures. Um, and I, I'm going to name a person or two that will probably be a little bit edgy and I'm not, <laughs> not going to cite their business acumen because I don't necessarily approve of their business acumen. I approve of how they shaped their families. Let's just say that. Okay. So I'm only in business to help shape my kids and help shape my wife to help them do what they want to do with their lives. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So in that context, I would probably say <laughs> Joseph, Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy and Fred Trump. Drum roll, please. That was not what I expected to hear. That is, um, that is impressive. So because some people's jaws probably just dropped, go ahead and explain. Uh, you know, we, we give, we give JFK's generation of family members a lot of credit. And if you go back and look through how they were enabled to, to leapfrog into the national spotlight as politicians and business people and socialites and all that, um, a lot of that was by the will of their, their father um, and the resources that he provided them the umbrella that he provided them, the safety net that he provided them. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to nod to their behavior after being enabled, but I'm saying like there is an element of, of without business, they don't become what they became so fast. They went from zero to 60 in a generation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and in the, in the highest level of it in, and in every level, politically, professionally, wealth, all of it. Yes. And to a greater extent, (laughs) uh, you know, uh, I I can't say I agree with everything that the man did or everything that his family's doing, but uh, Fred Trump completely just leaves Joseph Kennedy in the dust. Um, You know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but guy was born in 1905 to immigrant parents. Uh, he sold, well, his empire was sold for nearly a billion dollars after we were in high school. Um, he did it very quietly. A lot of other people around him took the shine, whether it was his sons or whomever, but he did it and he did it quietly and his growth was substantive. He made a lot of bets some bets failed. Some be- some bets did not fail. Um, and he silently built an empire that everyone around him took advantage of. Not saying that in a, well, negative <laughs> connotation. Yeah. They did take advantage of it, but you know. They were able to lever up on. Right. Um, and and I, I value that. And I think that's, those situations are part of my motivation for, for what, keeps me up and keeps me moving forward and keeps my head up when I fail or keeps my, my head steady when I, when I succeed. And the interesting corollary there is uh, when you think about the immigrant parents built an empire and son became president, um, your dad was one of the first African-Americans in the Coast Guard Academy, correct? Correct and really changed the trajectory of that institution. I think that he would say he probably didn't do enough. Um, I think, I think people like your dad will always say that, but certainly did a lot. I think that we've had this conversation before. I, I, you know, without, you know, without, without Joe Kennedy, there'd be no JFK without JFK. There wouldn't have been a speech on the U S coast guard cutter Eagle where he, required the academy to find black men back then it was only men um without without that mandate you know they wouldn't have found my father in the ghettos of houston 
Um, he did, he doesn't come from poverty, but you know, you know, Texas back then they didn't have the choice, uh, as to where they were going to live in Houston. Um, and without, without that, uh, sequence of events, um, you know, uh, college wouldn't have been a sure bet for me. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of history and, and history's impact. Uh, history isn't always pretty. I, you know, I know you and I both, we believe in nuance quite a bit. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I owe a lot to that JFK speech. And so that JFK speech wouldn't have happened without his dad. So <clears throat> Alexis and Adriana, when, when you listen to this, this means you have to be president. Just, <laughs> I don't know if any, everyone was tracking where I was going with that, but that's, <clears throat> that's where the bar has been set. So I, you know, all jokes aside, I, I expect a lot out of them. Um, uh, they have tremendous talents. They have the foundation, they have the resources, um, I'm not going to push them in a direction, but I think they come home every night and they know that the next morning they have a responsibility to build on where we've come from. Wonderful. I love it. So changing gears, um, what do you do to stay sane um, amidst all of the, uh, difficulties and challenges and chaos and kids and family and business? What do you do to stay sane every day? Uh, you know, I'm at peace, Kevin. Um, I do yoga two or three times a week, hot yoga at six o'clock in the morning. Um, I sleep a lot more than I did. So I sleep probably six to six and a half hours a night, which <laughs> that's still not <laughs> enough, but that's okay. <laughs> it's consistently like, that's a, that's a huge improvement for me. Yeah. Um, I obviously train at least five days a week, probably six. Um, I, you know, I know that I'm answering a few of your questions in advance, but I only drink a glass of wine a night. I haven't had whiskey in like over a year. Actually, the only time I had whiskey was the last time I saw you. Wow. Wow. I, I mean, I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I think the combination of those things puts me in a space where I'm capable of being... Uh, more productive, uh, a better friend, a better husband, better father, um, better boss, better partner. And, you know, those are, that's an evolution. So <laughs> that's how, that's how I'm doing it so far. I think that, you know, obviously mental health is a huge component in the stories that founders don't tell. Um, and even when I'm, in my lowest moments, uh, I'm in my lowest moments for a much, much shorter time than I was even two or three years ago, which is funny given how much pressure I'm under entrepreneurially right now. Yeah. And it's funny that I think sometimes the perception is <clears throat> that you shouldn't have those lower moments. Um, but it's, you're, you're always going to have them. It's about how you manage, how you manage yourself and what's around you in that moment and how long they last and that recovery. It's not about making sure that you don't have them. Sure. Uh, it, it's, uh, l like you said, I, I see it as a, as a, uh, an opportunity to recover. So if I'm there for 15 minutes, how do I make it 13 minutes? Or if I'm there for half a day, how do I make it three hours? Right. And, and uh, how do I make sure that I don't self-destruct in that three hours? Um, I think that's the cycle that you have to break not only as an entrepreneur, but as a person. And I, I think that over the last several years, like that's something that I've been focusing on, um, you know, as, as the bets and the risky bets continue. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, uh, if everything would be okay while you were gone, what would you do for a month away from it all? And I know being the, the type of business that you are, technically you can work from anywhere. Although I think people misunderstand or, or abuse that notion that, oh, you can do anything anywhere. And it's not always that simple, but you, you are, you've pre-written everything. Everything's preloaded to post. You've, you've done all your analysis and your team is going to handle anything that breaks while you're gone. What, what do you do for a month? 
Oof. Well, I'm not as international as you are. <laughs> so I'll keep my options domestic. Um, I, I would probably go to, you know, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, or Montauk. That, that's, my, that's my triangle. What, what time of year would you go? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I don't think there's a better time than early summer. Uh, it's the most lively. It's the great, it's a balance between, it's a great balance between the people that live there year round and the people that are there to party or to experience the sights and sounds. Um, I love it. It's, you know, if we could go there every six months, I would, uh, I just have to convince my wife that that's where she wants to go. <laughs> where does she want to go? She is a tropical beach person. So she likes to go South. You know, we, you know, even if it's stateside, or, you know, Puerto Rico, that's where she wants to go. So, you know, Miami, Naples, that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of frying in the sun. Uh, obviously, I'm dark enough, but you know, <laughs> teach their own. So when you're, <clears throat> when you're in Montauk, when you're in Martha's Vineyard, that area, what, what, what's a day look like for you? I know you obviously have a love of the water and sailing. Do you want to be out on the water every single day? Or is it kind of a mix? What What's the... What's the ideal day in this month away? That's a great question. I, I don't think that I need to be on the water. I need to see the water. Uh, it, that is very important to me. And when I travel for work, I'm always looking at water. Um, you know, riding bikes across the island or across, the, you know, the state parks or running, working out, experiencing great restaurants, listening to live music. You know, this summer, you know, Lindsay, Matt, Megan and I went to Martha's Vineyard and the last day of our trip, we decided to ferry over to Nantucket. And for the first time in my life, I rented um, uh, scooters like Vespas. And uh, we took a Vespa for like three hours around the island and it's like explored every crevice of of the island. And it was like the coolest three hours of the entire trip. So that stuff is the stuff that really resets me. It's stuff, it's, it's, uh, you know, little spurts of fun that we remember very clearly. Uh, we still talk about it as a group of friends to this day. Um, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me going. So, um, I, I visited, um, Nantucket last September for the first time ever. And we landed, and spent the next 24 hours trying to get back off the island because it was right when the hurricane, I think it was Maria, was coming to hit it. So I did not get to see much of the island, but of what I did get to see, I, I can understand the appeal of it. It's a pretty special place. It is a wonderful place. Um, I, I strongly recommend you, you know, you're, I, I know that you have a love for scooters. You know, <laughs> get that Vespa, uh, you and Jen, and then go for a ride. You know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Find the coasts, find the coasts of the islands. Excellent. Um, so on a less, less fun topic, um, how, what do you feel like your biggest sacrifice has been in, in starting a business along the way? Um, uh, probably, probably my mental health. I mean, I don't know how much that comes up in the con in, in, in conversation when you're talking to founders, um, but I had some tough times, man. Um, you know, some really, really stringent moments where, um, everything that I thought about myself was tested. Everything that I, that, um, I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I, you know, there are times where I didn't think it was possible. And so I know that that's not necessarily an experience that people, feel when they're working typical jobs and there's a foundation and salaries and 401ks and the work is stressful, but there aren't moments where you're wondering how your kids are going to be fed. Um, well, I have a high stakes life and I guess that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and you know, that presents both negatives and positives and I have to I've had to learn how to deal with the negatives as well as I learned to deal with the positives. <clears throat> you mentioned, um, kind of sleeping more, um, 
making sure you're doing hot yoga, which is fascinating to hear. Um, <laughs> when you think about the challenges in kind of helping manage the mental health and, and, and difficulties of being an entrepreneur, um, was there a mentor of yours or somebody who helped kind of, uh, have you helped guide you along that path or were there just things and people that you kind of heard and talked to along the way that gave you tips and tricks to, to help reset? Um, I think, you know, when you're in a leadership position, it's, it can sometimes be difficult to step outside of yourself and see how you're affecting other people. I think that um, experiencing interactions where I was appalled by the context or by the interactions um, really shaped my like really shaped my view on how much of a responsibility we have to be at our best as often as we can be. Because without that perspective, you don't know how much de of a detriment you can be on other people. Um, that's something that I've learned in the last five or six years that was a long overdue lesson. Um, being treated a certain way can really open your eyes to how you're treating other people. And it's your responsibility to take that education and adjust yourself as necessary. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's, uh, learning from what you don't want can be a very powerful educator along the way. Indeed. So, um, <clears throat> let's talk about in the growth of, of 2 PM over time. Is there a moment that you, whether something happened or you just stopped to think about it for a second and you thought, man, this is, this is no longer me just gathering some links and hoping people, I have a good open rate on the email, but you either got a, a big sponsor to come on board or a consulting client or um, uh, kind of someone you really look up to gave you high praise and, and had one of their friends sign up. Was there a moment that something really started to change in the trajectory of 2PM? Yes. Uh, so early on, a few things happened. Uh, Alibaba became involved. They became fans of a newsletter and that helped accelerate things for a time. I would say that my my biggest inflection point personally, um, I don't think that people could necessarily observe it from the outside, but internally it was very evident, um, was acquisition interest. Um, you know, a major newspaper began talks with me. Um, I, I rebuffed those talks for a while, just not something I'm willing to go down the path of again right now at least um you know a, a digital platform a silicon valley entrepreneur owns they approached 2 p.m for acquisition and this all happened within late 2017 early 2018 and that's when i sort of confirmed that there was a value for what i was doing or value up for what i was doing and um that at least some people saw it as a business that could scale to, to VC standards. Um, and the question became like, do I want it to scale that much? Um, and I haven't answered that question yet. That's a pretty, it's a pretty significant moment when it's not some random person that says they want to invest, but, um, uh, a major entity or institution says we would like you to be a part of what we're doing here. That had to be, while you said it wasn't what you wanted, it still had to be surreal. Yes, it was. It was very affirming. Um, it it opened my eyes. It it in, you know, um, it emboldened me to continue the path and to invest more money into it, in both changing platforms, improving platforms, branding. You know, it's a continued evolution. Um, but that's th those are those are two of the things that pushed me in that direction. Um, I've had, you know, the last moment was the last moment of the three. I would so I would sort of give it credit to, um, you know, an in, institutional investor reached out and offered 
to to lead around. And and again, like those are those are great milestones. Um, but going back to you know what I was saying about Bill, like Bill Hinegar and Katie Hinegar, like that's I'm going to try to do it that way, and I'm going to see if that works. And if it doesn't, then I'll, I'll have another story to tell. <laughs> and what a story it will be. Um, so knowing that this is something that you want to stay heads down in, you're not looking to get out of it any point in time soon. Where do you see this taking you in 10 years? Or, um, what do you see this entity becoming over the next 10 years? And those could be two separate answers or, or the same. Um, well, let's talk about the institution. Like I think that 2 PM could, could be the go-to source for the entire industry. I, that's what I that's what I want it to be. So I don't know what that number looks like. I don't know if that's three hundred thousand senior managers and executives nationally. I don't know, but that's that's what I want it to be. And like that's what my singular focus is. I don't know if that's going to be three years from now, or five years from now, or fifteen years from now. But I do know that uh, the value that two PM brings will be delivered in a way that's relevant to the times as the company continues to grow. So whether that's an app or anything, whatever the preferred means of communication is for that time, I'm confident that 2 PM will evolve to meet those needs. Healthy, healthy perspective. And, you know, it's, as you said, it's not, it's not some number. It's just the, the reality of what you're trying to build it to be. Right. When you look at what Nike is to the industry, to the sportswear industry, they hold a very small percentage of the total sportswear athletic market, but they are the most dominant force in sports and culture today. Correct. Um, and so, I, again, that's a great point. I'm, I'm never going to see it as a volume play, never going to mass market it or just try to drive numbers for the sake of driving numbers. I'm, I haven't paid for a single ad. It's all been consistent organic growth um, and retention. And I know that there will probably there will probably be a time where the, those two elements are strained. Um, and I'll I'll reassess what it means whenever that time comes. So, um, if you could go back and tell yourself something, one thing in 2015, when you're starting this initiative. Um, obviously you've done a lot right along the way in terms of how you view it, the long-term waiting to monetize in an effective way that's still brand right. What would you tell yourself back in 2015? I, I would say that one thing that's helped the company quite a bit is the writing and the original thought. And I don't think that I paid as much attention to it back then. Um, so I would, remind myself that, you know, writing, writing is a superpower and like, it's something that can really change how people view the company, how people are drawn to it. It's, it's a great marketing tool. It's a great value add. And I would have started to prioritize that sooner had I known what I know now. And maybe that would have been exactly what you needed, but it seems like waiting until the time that you did has worked pretty well. So that's all right. Um, so it's, this could be a, um, extension of that last thought or something totally different. What has been your single biggest regret? There was a time, there was a short time when, when I almost quit it. Um, I, I may, I, I, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, there was probably a time where I didn't send a letter for two weeks or two or three weeks. And in my mind, I was, I was done. Um, did you talk to anybody about it? I, I did. Um, it was a combination of just not having the time being discouraged, not seeing growth where I wanted to see it. And I, I, I left, you know, I, for a short term, I left it behind. And I think that that was a mistake. I think that 
part of the value of staying in this process day in and day out is doing the work regardless of whether or not you want to do the work. And there's tremendous reward in doing the work when you don't want to do it. And so that's what I wish I would have told myself in that moment. Um, I'm playing a really long game. And I think this is just the beginning. Um, who knows if someone better than me is going to move the ball forward when I'm no longer capable. Who knows? But I think that there's a need for what I'm doing. And um, increasingly, I'm, I'm that thought is being affirmed by the industry. Kind of digesting that. The, um, the reality of, again, the impact that you've had on... Um, I mean, look how many newsletters have started in the last year. It's been amazing. D- does that surprise you? Um, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. I think that, you know, people are going to run into the same walls that I did. Um, I'm going to respect the people that push through them. I'm going to encourage them. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited that people see value in newsletters as a medium um, I don't think it's as easy as people think it is. It's not, it's definitely not easy to be consistent over a long period of time. Um, so I look forward to seeing if people have the ability to do that. Um, and I, I obviously deeply respect the people that do because I'm friends with them. Who has been the, uh, subscriber and, and maybe you don't want to share this, but who subscribed without you reaching out to them or, or someone, you know, reaching out to them and you're like, damn, that's awesome. <laughs> scooter scooter brawn <laughs> that those, is awesome yeah yeah that's you know i i check the list from time to time and i'm always surprised when like a, a big shot joins the the list <clears throat> um, i remember early on in mizzen managing mailchimp and seeing who would unsubscribe and it would be one of my friends like man was it that bad being a subscriber to, to Mizzen and Maine's newsletter? Has anyone, and you certainly don't have to name drop here, but has, have you had anyone unsubscribe or do you even look at specific unsubscribes where you you think to yourself, man, I, I, that kind of hurts. It, it, every unsubscribe hurts. I think I've, I've actually talked about it publicly before. Um, I, I obsess over retention. I always question, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why would you possibly unsubscribe? Like, that letter took me 10 hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, there are people that I've, that I've known that have unsubscribed. Uh, listen, I'm aware that people only have the ability to manage so much stimulus, so much information. So I don't take it personally. But it hurts. Unsubscribes hurt when people, when people don't open it, it, it can sting a little bit, but you gotta be, you gotta be focused on what the end goal is and you can't be that sensitive about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a naturally sensitive person. So like that's, that's an adjustment that I've had to make. One thing I've learned recently, um, as to, and, and you can see my clicks, so you know, I'm still reading yours. This is not my subtle way of telling you this, but, um, one way I have learned how I can not hurt people's feelings on unsubscribes is a Gmail filter where I just auto archive, <laughs> where I just auto archive their, their thing that I might get a lot. Um, and that has, uh, that has given me some sanity. Well, you know, one thing I can say about, one thing I can say about auto archiving is that at least it opens the door to, you know, maybe you find interested, interested in it again, six months from now or, or, right. or you, now um right and so yeah i mean that's better than nothing yeah. uh, i would say um <laughs> but i i certainly understand i mean we have we have a finite a finite time um we're very busy we're we're family guys we're fathers all these things like, yeah um you can't get bent out of shape about how you know by how people spend their time yeah. um but in the meantime i'm going to continue trying to make their time better spent so, um, when you think about, uh, day in, day out that this is, you know, this is the life that we live day in, day out, what brings you the most joy every day? Well, I'll tell you this. If I send a, if I send 2 PM out at 
2 p.m. Eastern on Monday. It sets my week up pretty well. So a lot of things have to happen. I have to, I have to be at home, which I travel every week. Um, I have to be at home. I have to have my writing done essentially late the night before, and I have to essentially be done curating by 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. And then it comes, and then it comes down to like a lot of development and design and all that stuff, um, because the newsletter is HTML based. If I can do that, like I'm tremendously proud. Like I, I'll like text my wife and say, "Oh my gosh, I got it on on time." She's like, "I know, I read it." You know, like that's <laughs> that's that's a good like that's a good feeling for me. So uh, when we think about the the joy in that. How about the opposite? Well, I guess maybe the opposite. The other side of the coin, what is one of your most embarrassing professional moments? And this could be with 2 p.m., a mistake that you made, or uh, from from any of your previous jobs. I'll keep it light. I mean, I, I think that if I, make a, if I make a grammatical error in an intro paragraph or a title, I know that seems really small, but that's devastating to me. Because the list itself has so many people that I would consider to be infinitely smarter than me that it, it's already intimidating to hit send. So when I mess up, it's like, gosh, like how did I not how did I not see that? Or how did how did Megan not pick that up? Or you know, you know, it, it's it can be it can be very awkward and very painful. Um and that may not be the the answer that you're looking for, but no, I, I hear you. One thing, one thing that I've sort of used to keep me going is I've had some tremendous conversations because of 2 PM. And we've talked about some of them offline. Like a lot of these folks probably wouldn't give me the time of day had they not been introduced to 2 PM. And so, you know, there are, there's a tremendous responsibility there. And I try to make sure that I'm perfect every time. And that could be a lot of work. I, uh, it's also, it's remarkable how much easier it is to proof other people's work than to proof your own. Uh, Yes. Yeah. I can look at an email that we've prepped and I can spot two mistakes immediately. But if I write something, you know, I've, I've put eight in there. It's, it's a, that's a very unique aspect of writing that is, I think over under misunderstood as to how difficult that can be. Well, I, I applaud anyone that can do it well. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, wide ranging question here. Do you expect to be doing 2 PM or some offshoot of it for your whole life? Or do you think this will evolve into something else? Uh, You know, ideally I want to, I want to be able to embolden brands and the people that run them. Uh, 2 PM gives me the ability to do some of that. Now I'm sure There'll, there will be elements of 2 p.m. that grow to focus on that more and more. Um, I can see that as a long-term focus, whether that be in financing or in creative marketing, um, building the systems to embolden those types of companies to survive and thrive in the new economy. That's something that's, something that's really important to me. And I, I do plan on being in this business for a while. And I, I, I never want to retire, um, but hopefully I'm doing this stuff on my own terms. So that I think flows well into the final question, which is how do you want to be remembered? Um, I, you know, that's a tough question. I think that, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've succeeded publicly. I've, I've failed very publicly. The, the one thing that's the most important to me is that at the very least, you, you have to be able to objectively say that I didn't, that I didn't throw in the towel. Like I, I didn't stop trying or I didn't stop making stop. I didn't stop making the attempt. Right. I think that's extremely important because there are numerous stories of folks that don't figure it out for a long time, but when they do figure it out, it has a tremendous impact, not only on the, on themselves or their families, but beyond their families. And 
that's what I sort of, that's what I hope for. And that's what, you know, if I had it my way, that's what I hope people would say about me that I, that I didn't quit. Heads down. Don't quit. So how can people sign up for 2 PM? You can sign up for 2 PM at 2 pml.com. The front page uh, has a, a sign-up app embedded. Just plug in your name, your first name, and your email address, and uh, we'll take care of you. And of all the uh, of all the things that is most unique about you, it's probably your Twitter handle. And what is your Twitter handle? You can find my tweets, both economics and industry and sociopolitics, um, at web w e b uh i'll never stop talking your ear off so be careful (laughs) (laughs) it's a good follow go give it a follow so with those logistics and serious questions aside it is time for the ever entertaining rapid fire questions how many hours of sleep a night do you get and you answered this already but how many hours of sleep a night do you get five to six and a half Amazing. And and such a wide swing. That's a huge percentage swing given the amount of sleep you get. Um, What would you use the gene editing technology CRISPR for on yourself? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I, I wish that I could dunk easier. I, I feel bad being the only athletic looking black guy that has a hard time dunking. What is your favorite fiction and nonfiction book? Um, Wow. I, my favorite nonfiction book right now is probably The Restless Wave by John McCain. Uh, my favorite fiction right now is Fahrenheit 451. Very good. Have you, has that term been turned into a TV show yet? It was going to be. I kept seeing it's, ads it's, for it. It's a movie, movie with Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. It's not best movie but it it does it does its job is it is that on netflix i want to say it's on hbo but i might be wrong or showtime one of the two i uh, it's either hbo or netflix so it's probably hbo because i i think i saw ads for it on um when i was watching westworld um daily music playlist theme (sighs) well the older i get the more i feel like i'm more like my dad i listen to like a lot of like anita baker and Marvin Gaye and just old soulful singers from my youth and before my youth. Um, but if I'm not listening to, to black music, um, <laughs> you know, I, I love, I love vampire weekend. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, if I had to guess it's either Kanye West or vampire weekend, which yeah, is almost the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vampire Weekend is probably one of my favorite bands. Rufus Do Soul is one of my favorite bands. Um, I listen to a lot of them. They always remind me of good times. Love it. Uh, wake up and wind down drinks of choice. I drink bulletproof coffee in the morning. I try to stay in ketosis until two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and uh, I drink a glass of wine with Lindsay at night. I remember the first time you had me drink bulletproof coffee, I almost threw up. <laughs> it is a serious thing the first time you have bulletproof coffee. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Um, so it's it's bulletproof, bulletproof coffee with 15 grams of collagen protein, which makes me sound psycho, but it's great. It's, it, does, it does its job and, you know, I don't look like Charles Barkley right now, so that's progress. <laughs> I hope he's listening. I doubt it. Um, what would your last meal be? And since it's your last meal, you don't have to eat healthy. Whew. Chicken and waffles. There you go. It, like without a doubt, I want it every single day and I never give myself the opportunity. Yeah. Last meal. You can do whatever you want. What's your biggest pet peeve? Wow. Uh, that's, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I'll keep it light. I hate when people can't parallel park. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, like, <laughs> I live in the city. And if you live in the city and it takes you 35 seconds to parallel park, move out of the city. Get out of here. Get out of here. Or just rent one of those bird scooters. Right. Um, favorite podcast 
You know, I listen to The Daily a lot. Um, Joe Rogan. I listen to Joe Rogan a lot. Uh, I think those are probably, you know, those are probably my two go-tos. Of all of the, I can't believe someone is wearing Mizzen and Main people that I've ever seen wear Mizzen and Main, Joe Rogan has to be the coolest that when, when the first time we saw him wearing it and he wears it, he's wearing it on his latest Netflix special. I see him posting and he wore, um, he wore it on his interview with, uh, with Elon Musk. He wore the pink, uh, spinnaker, super stretchy dress shirt. And that, that, <laughs> that interview got so much play. I got probably 15 people that texted me. I was like, is that missing a main shirt? Cause Joe Rogan is wearing a pink dress shirt which is pretty extraordinary it's one of the older ones too wasn't it yeah it's like three years old yeah uh you know joe rogan is so cool that he wore a dress shirt in a way that made it almost not look like a dress shirt yeah he never buttons the (laughs) sleeves and collars at least two or three buttons deep um and i was talking to someone who knew him not too long ago and they said they'd never seen him wear a dress shirt until he started wearing mizzen and main which is pretty awesome it's amazing. And that was an amazing interview. Uh, yeah. I, recommend, I strongly recommend anyone that's listening to this, listen to that interview because it was very eye-opening. Yeah. And terrifying. And terrifying. What percent of your monthly budget is Amazon at home? Not, not for work, at home. I am becoming an Amazon junkie. I prime now everything. So if I had to say 7 to 10%. It's actually not that high given what I would have expected for how much well, of an Amazon junkie I know you to be. That's just me. And that's just food. Like that, Kevin, that's snacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm Amazon nowing snacks. Yep. They have just so, so uh, screwed up all sense of reality. Like I can't right. get this in the next two hours. That's ridiculous. I don't that's, want it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or fine. I'll pay $11 to get it right now. Exactly. I'm going to order some kombucha and some collagen bars to go with my bulletproof coffee right after I get off of the phone with you. Sounds yummy. Um, What TV show could you watch over and over again? Uh, Big Little Lies. Interesting. I've not watched that yet. i got to check it out. It's great. Nicole Kidman. Great show. Uh, You'll like it. I feel like. Check it out. Reese Witherspoon. Yep. The other one would be let me put my masculine hat back on. Ballers, the latest, the latest, the latest season of Ballers is great. Yeah, I've I've heard it's getting better and better. I've not actually watched it yet, but it's uh, on my list when I don't have uh, kids under two right now. Um, what is your favorite article of clothing? And I'm going to take away your option to say boat shoes. <laughs> Uh, man, my, my 2 PM Patagonia vest. What are you talking about? I'm wearing it right now. It's not even cold in here. You just move effortlessly between Silicon Valley and wall street. Yes, I do. Perfect. No matter where I go, I'm, I'm on brand. Do you love or hate cardio? I hate cardio, but right before I was on the, uh, mic with you, I did 30 minutes on the, uh, assault bike. Excellent. Would you rather fight off 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? I'm terrified of rodents and bugs, so anything that gives me that sensation will put me at a disadvantage. I'm going to go with the horse-sized bug. Horse-sized duck. Duck. Yes. You know, I live close to ducks. Uh, do I have a shotgun? Do I, what am I using? Uh, you are walking along uh, in German village and a either fleet of uh, duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck just starts coming after you. With no tools, no weapons. Yeah, I mean, you can you can run home, you can jump in somewhere and try and get something, but you're not, this is not like I'm getting ready to go to war. This is a surprise attack. Gosh. No one's asked this before, so that was completely off the cuff. Oh, gosh, I... I'm still going to go with the horse-sized duck and try to outrun it. Yeah. Uh, if I can't outrun it, I have a pocket knife I keep with me. Going for the jugular? Go for the jugular. That's <laughs> that's about all I can do. It's got dark. 
let's lighten it up. What is your favorite destination to travel to? And you mentioned the triangle earlier, so pick sure, one. Sure, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go other coast. Oh, okay. Uh, I work in LA a lot. When I'm in LA, I stay in Laguna Beach Man, or on beautiful. Laguna Beach. Yeah. So there's a hotel there called the Ranch, and it's amazing. Nice. That's where I go, and it's gorgeous. Um, and to close out, what is the best gift that you've ever received? My wife, uh, got me a trip that we haven't gone on yet. And it's somewhere I've always wanted to go. And, uh, I haven't even gone yet, but I think that's the coolest gift that I've gotten. We're going, we're going to, to France over Whoa. the Christmas. Awesome. Are you, are all four of you going or are the kids staying no, with just- grandparents? It's going to be Lindsay, Alexis, and me. Uh, Alexis has been studying French for five years now. And so we thought that we, you know, we had to be fair to her and take her. So the, the youngest is going to stay at grandma and grandpa's house. And we're going to lean on our daughter to translate everything for us. That's going to be a really, really cool trip for her. What an experience. How long are you guys going for? About four or five days, if I'm not mistaken. Very cool. It'll be beautiful too at that time of year. Excellent. Well, um, uh, super, super wide ranging and fun conversation. Um, thanks for, for taking the time to, I know you're not a huge podcast, uh, guest kind of guy. I think you've only done a handful. So I appreciate you breaking, breaking that down for us and, uh, really excited to see the continued growth of 2 PM and for everybody listening, um, if you are listening, then you're at least somewhat interested in this world. And so therefore, I cannot uh, recommend highly enough becoming a, a subscriber and executive member of uh, 2PM. Check it out at 2PML.com. Thank you, sir. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle, and you can also go to founders15.com for show notes and other episodes. Thank you. Thank you.